Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. We continue our upset theme this week as I bring on head coaches of programs that could cause a little bit of chaos in your brackets. And today it is Drexel head coach Denise Dillon. Coach Dillon is in her 16th season at Drexel and has turned the Philadelphia school into a contender every single year. Just won her 300th game uh, about a week or two ago. It's been to the NCAA tournament once, but been to eight WNITs. They won the whole thing in the WNIT back in 2013. She's from Philly, played at Villanova, coached at Villanova, and then at Drexel. I wanted to talk to her a little bit about that. Uh, Philly basketball is just so famed and seems so personal to so many people from there. So I want to talk to her about that. Talk to her about her program at Drexel and how she's built it up towards the top of the CAA every year, one of the best mid-major conferences in the country. Drexel plays a different style of basketball, too. Uh, they are a slower team. They are a defensive-minded team. So want to discuss uh, how their, their makeup is in that regard as well. So we will get Coach on the phone, and we will be right back. This is The Jump Run. And welcome back to the Jump Around. And joining me, it is the head coach of Drexel, Denise Dillon. Coach, thanks so much for joining me. Fresh off uh, the, the end of your regular season, 22 and 7, 14 and 4 in conference. Congratulations on another great year, and, and thanks for the time today. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you reaching out. It's great to be on. And uh, yeah, thanks for the uh, comments on the season. So I finished up regular season strong and see what we have for tournament play yeah well we'll we'll get into your your team this season uh, in a little bit but for just people who aren't familiar with you don't really know your story you are you're a philly girl and it, it's funny i i think there are very few cities in in this country quite like philly where people are from there they stay there they are proud to be there i mean you even look down your coaching staff you're all philly people right. yeah so what <laughs> so one one can you just explain that to me well I, it is interesting because i i know that from basketball obviously people uh uh, it's a great basketball tradition here in Philadelphia, men's and women's uh, basketball. And uh, it's just in general, though, the population, I, I read this many years back, that uh, most people uh, in the state of Pennsylvania uh, stay in Pennsylvania. They do not move off to other uh, states. So it is something, I think, embedded in the uh, state itself. But uh, Philadelphia, I would Yes, I don't know the exact stat, but I would say uh, the majority are from this area who are staying local <laughs> instead of uh, venturing off to other uh, states yeah. around the country. Were you you did stay. You played at Villanova and had an excellent career there. Thousand point scorer, uh, all rookie in the Big East. You're an all Big East player from '94 to '96. What did uh, I asked this to almost of everyone, but. Uh, if you graduate, if I would have talked to you when you graduated from Villanova, and I would have said, "Hey, Denise, what, what's what are you going to do with your life now?" What would you have told me then? Wow, it's uh, it's amazing to think uh, what the thoughts of a twenty-two-year-old uh, senior uh, were at that point. You know, I finished with a, a degree in education. Uh, uh, basketball, of course, was my identity. The reason I was at Villanova uh, was because of the. the 
skill and the recognition that uh, Harry saw in me as a high school player. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a scary time uh, when you finish up. You realize like, what do I do now? I've been told. Uh, each and every year what my schedule was and uh, what you look forward to and setting new goals and here you are you finish and you're like okay I have to start a whole new chapter <laughs> and uh, I was lucky enough to have a tryout with uh, at the time of Houston Comets so there was some thoughts of continuing to play um, of course uh, it, it was really getting a kickstart with playing overseas a lot of players were heading that direction of things didn't work with um the ABL was in full swing, WNBA starting, uh, then that was an opportunity. But the reason I had stayed close to home uh, was a decision based off family. Uh, my mother's health was poor, and uh, that we had made a decision. My dad had said he was going to do everything to keep her at home and care for her. And uh, I'm one of five. Okay. I have two sisters who uh, did a tremendous job of, caring for my mother and it just offered me the opportunity to do the same to be close to home and offer whatever I could uh, between school and basketball so uh, it all worked out for the best but that's where uh, playing uh, ended I was not going to go overseas and uh, realized I needed to figure out what was next I thought I would be in a classroom teaching and coaching at some level but uh, to be able to do this at the highest level has been greatest honor yeah if, if i can ask this if your mother's health wasn't a factor would you have gone overseas then do you think i do yes okay. uh most definitely uh, my uh, my dad my father was a, a great advocate of uh you know raising the five of us uh to be independent and figure out uh what our uh future held it was in our hands he had said you know when we turned when we finished high school, uh, he said, if you want to go to college, you're uh, going to have to find a way to do that. So, uh, it, it was wow. he definitely put us in a position to take care of ourselves and, uh, learn how to do it. I mean, looking out for us, of course, but I would say monetary wise that we were on our own, uh, to take that next step for, uh, finish our academic careers at the college level. So, uh, yeah, I, I do believe I would have, continued playing uh, because it would offer me an opportunity to make a living for an extended period of time mm-hmm. uh, by playing the game I love. Yeah. Well, you end up going right back to your alma mater as an assistant coach, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Uh, you know, I've, oh, I've, I've, I've coached at my alma mater, and it's, it's a very unique experience to be able to do that. Um, you're there from 97 to 01. Mm-hmm. So much when coaches get into coach, or when yeah, when coaches start their their careers, there's a lot of things that they didn't realize and went into all of it. What were some of the biggest things for you that when you started coaching, you went, "Wow, I didn't realize you guys did this." Yeah, oh, I think it, my eyes were open. I had a, a serious shoulder injury my junior year, uh, mid February of my junior year, and that was the first time I was ever sidelined. Uh, so I think that was what propelled me to want to get into coaching because sitting there at practice and during the games and really hearing what Harry was uh, instructing and what he wanted us to do started to make sense instead Mm -hmm. of just, you know, physically playing the game and um, believing you're coachable. uh, It it really (laughs) put things in perspective. So that was my first uh, taste of connecting the dots with the strategy and uh, as a 
the coach, like what they were trying to uh, enforce and the players on the court, how they were doing it. And I was thinking, I'm like, wait, why won't you just do this? This is what Harry's saying. So I, I think that it was definitely the first taste of it. So then when I had the opportunity to coach, uh, it allowed me to immediately, well, when I had the connection with the returning players uh, as their teammate and, and just trying to help them understand what Harry was saying, you know, and uh, getting them to realize it's, he just wants you to be a really good basketball player. You know, it's, you know, he can be uh, very verbal. He's loud. He's never demonstrative, but uh, you know, he would, everything he was trying to get us to do uh, was with force. So I I think that was my greatest transition of uh, being the in-between person uh, from player and uh, Harry in his position. Yeah. Well, well, then after your your time there, you go to Drexel as an assistant, take over the head coaching job on an interim basis, and then you get that interim title knocked off. And here we are, sixteen years later, you're still yeah. there and still still at Drexel, and have turned them into a, a pretty special program. Um, I know you've talked about it before, but in, in your playing days, it was a program that wasn't successful, had a lot of tough times. What was it about Drexel specifically that made you think that you could turn it into something successful? Yeah, well, I think the first, uh, the reason why I made the move uh, to Drexel was to see if this was going to be a career for me. Hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, in the comfort of uh, your alma mater, and you knew, you know, Harry always had my best interests at heart, and uh, he he took care of me and. Uh, but it, again, in order to challenge yourself and, and take a leap of faith, I had to see if I could do this uh, somewhere else and if I, I could help uh, turn a program around. So that is why I took the step uh, coming down as an assistant. And then, uh, yeah, when things changed and they asked you know, if I'd be interested in the position, they gave me the interim tag, I thought that was a true sign to see, yeah. all right, you're going to learn early if you can do this if this is where you belong and, and this is what you're supposed to do with your professional career. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I got bit by the coaching bug real quick. And yeah. I thought I knew I had it as an assistant coach, but then to just take over and try and uh, leave your mark on a program. Uh, it was immediate uh, that first year. I, I felt it just the connection with the players and them really trying to do what uh, we were asking. So uh, I, I always thought as a player, you know, seeing Drexel, my cousin, Joni McLaughlin, shoemaker, she played here at Drexel in the uh, late 80s. So I had uh, some idea, you know, I watched mm-hmm. her games, but then when I was a player, we didn't uh, face them uh, but once. And I just thought, I'm like, okay, this is a Philly school. You saw, you know, I knew the success that we had at Villanova. St. Joe's was tremendous. Um, of course, uh, you know, you would follow all the schools. LaSalle, they, they were their best years, late 80s, early 90s. And then uh, you had Temple and Penn, of course. So I just thought, like, Drexel can be can be good. Like, it's Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia basketball. Yeah. Uh, it can be something. So I just uh, felt that from the start and knew we had to make uh, some big moves with landing a couple recruits to uh, change the dynamic and uh, first teach them how to compete. And they did just that, you know, my first year. And I flipped it the following year to... Uh, losing some games that first year by a very small margin, and then they turned into wins the following year. And you know, once you start winning, uh, people listen a little bit more. They they get hungry for more wins. So uh, it just continued, and then we were able to convince some players and uh, international players part of the 
uh, building process. Huh. Well, yeah, you guys won 19 games in that second season. Then it was your sixth season yeah. in 08 09. You win 24 games and go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, walk me through that feeling when, when you guys uh, do get in and, and get that berth to the tournament. How, I mean, can you even put into words what, what that meant for you? Oh, it was huge. And you put a plan in place uh, when you start, when you have a uh, program. And uh, that was the goal. Without Not caring what Drexel had done in the past, it was now our team. And I can remember like it was yesterday talking to Amy Mallon when I hired her in that uh, second year. And I, I said, okay, within five years, we got to, we got to win a conference championship. And, you know, we're, we're talking about this like it was uh, a, a normal conversation. If, mm-hmm. if an outsider was listening, they would probably laugh at us and say, you do understand that Old Dominion has won it this many years in a row and mm-hmm. they've been a Final Four team and they just dominate the league. And it was always my thought, I'm like, we're going to be the first team to knock them off. And sure enough, yeah, that, that came into play. <laughs> uh, so... It's yes, yeah, setting a plan of motion, and it, it remains our goal. We always said with every you know, four or five years, a guy compete for a championship. Uh, you know, obviously the objective is to win the championship. You go that thirteen season where we win the uh, WNIT uh, championship. Uh, you know, coming up short uh, against Delaware in the CAAs, but it's one track when you, you're at a mid-major school. You know, you convince a couple key players to get you over. Uh, that hump and, and put you in a position to play in the championship, potentially win a championship. Uh, it, it usually is the, I, I don't like to say rebuilding process, but uh, just the regrouping, developing, finding that uh, one player that's going to lead the way and then uh, all the others doing what's necessary in order to be successful. Yeah, and you guys haven't had to rebuild, really, since you got it going. I mean, you've missed one postseason since that 08-09 season. You you haven't finished any worse than fifth, and that was one year. I mean, you guys are at the top of the league every year, and if people aren't aware, uh, the CAA is one of the best, if not the best, mid-major uh, conference in the country. So you, you guys have, have clearly got a role in there. Um, with your style of play, it, it is... It's different, um, especially nowadays where you, everyone you talk to talks about, you know, space, pace, let's go fast, let's play a million miles per hour, let's right. score 500 points a game. And you guys don't do that. You guys slow the game down significantly. Um, but on, on that accord, you're also the number one team in the country as far as giving up points per game. You're number six in the country in opponents' points per 100 possessions. Um, why, how have you guys kind of carved out that niche in, in a time when it's literally couldn't be more opposite than, than the trends are going? Yeah, well, I always find it interesting. Everyone does talk about uh, wanting to run and get up and down the floor. and uh, it, It's almost just a, a natural uh, comment or instinct to, to talk that way when you're talking about the game of basketball. And I've had you know, plenty of uh, recruits and um, some we didn't get and some who have played for me who, are, who say the same thing. Like they're in uh, our office, we're talking, they're like, yeah, I'd like to run and get up and down the floor. I'm like, okay, yeah. And we, you know, every day of practice, we, we do the routine of, you know, transition and we do the presses and we do the uh, defensive segments. It's absolutely remarkable. It's the inability to sustain a pace 
with consistency. Mm. Uh, being with consistent production. So you, you quickly remind players, you have to play to your strength. Uh, so it's, yeah, we can run up and down the floor and we can throw the ball at the basket faster than anyone, but what's the result going to be? So you got to put yourself in a position uh, to succeed. Uh, one reason, you know, why we've been successful is uh, always starting with defense. You know, it's the message that uh, we send to players we're recruiting. Obviously, we're not going to recruit a player who isn't committed to playing uh, to working hard on defense. Uh, obviously, we can teach the strategy behind containing or uh, working the pick and roll, all those little things, but they have to at least have the mindset and the work ethic to do whatever it takes on the defensive end, whatever the, the next step, the strategy is uh, from their college coach. And we do that because you don't know offensively what you're going to get year in and year out from players. Uh, you, you can, again, recruit them. Uh, this kid's a shooter. Uh, yeah, this kid, uh, she's a playmaker. Uh, it's a solid post player we have here who can step out a little bit. But the pressure to perform at this level is has gotten greater for players because there's always an eye on them. So if you teach them to just worry about playing defense and working hard there, uh, you can develop uh, different areas of their offensive game without them being overwhelmed by it. So I think that's why it has worked for us, the, the pace we play. And to be honest, uh, the last two years, you know, well, last year and this season, we have been a faster pace team uh, because we have uh, some quicker players, some quicker guards who do not shoot the ball as well as uh, some previous years. So we had to you know, reinvent some of our uh, offenses to fit the players we have. And it's certainly worked in our favor, but yeah, you got to make change for the players you have. Uh, but at the same time, get them to realize uh, at this level, it's so different than high school. Everybody is uh, just as fast, if not faster, uh, you know, just as strong, <laughs> bigger. So getting them to buy into that and teach them that is, is a big uh, step in our, in our job. Yeah, one of those uh, one of those players that that does get it done offensively for you guys is is Bailey Greenberg, who's scoring nearly eighteen a game. She's scoring ten points per game more than your second leading scorer in Nikki Menzel. But what about Bailey um, is unique because that is a that's that's a heavy burden to wear when you you are the leading scorer in your team and it's not even uh, close to being disputable. Uh, even I remember back right. when you when you guys went to triple overtime with William and Mary, she played all fifty five minutes of that game. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty unique player you got on your team. No doubt. Uh, watching Bailey's growth and development has been one of the greatest, uh, the, the proudest uh, moments in my coaching career. I mean, I have there's a, a very select few who have grown as uh, quickly as she has. Um, you know, in their four-year time, sort of Holly Mershon is someone who it was an absolute pleasure coaching her and watching her grow into the player uh, she became. Um, Gabby Marginian, who's our all-time best. Uh, it, it's so fun to develop different areas of her game, but Bailey is, is doing a little bit faster pace, perhaps because she felt she had to <laughs> this year. Mm -hmm. uh, her competitiveness is so great. Uh, 
she doesn't show it. Uh, you wouldn't know if you saw her walking down the street or in the halls here at Drexel. But yeah, when she steps on the floor, she just she shifts that mindset. And uh, you know, Bailey, we saw the and I saw a lot in Bailey as a high school player, but at five uh, eleven with great bounce, uh, uh, great um, family. You know, everybody in her family. Her father was a tremendous player. In his time, uh, her aunt. So we knew uh, she had started from the, the beginning of uh, being taught the game. But she was used basically as a post player um, at Archbishop Wood, where they had great success. But because of her size, so you get excited about players like Bailey. You know, she could take people off the dribble from the high post. Um, she was comfortable with her back to the basket. She's old school. She's a little hook shot. You know, you can't guard that. I don't care what size you are. So. Uh, just wanting to open her game up a little bit, uh, extending her range, uh, and her buying into it. You know, it's all about the player. If they're they're willing to trust you and what you have to offer to their game, and they work on it, then they're going to get results. And uh, I think because of Bailey's skill set and uh, competitive edge, it has allowed her to uh, grow her game at a, a fast pace. And she just she is so efficient. Yeah, you know, she doesn't. She learned early this season not to rush things. Like there were mm. games we had uh, where she realized, okay, I could score in so many different areas, but would get ahead of herself, thinking I I have to score. Uh, and you could just see her throughout the season settling her mind, which then you know settles her game a little bit and learn like find the open spot and take the shot instead of trying to create something. It's when you're as you said. Uh, scoring 10 more points than the next person on the list, everyone's gunning for you. They put their best defender on you. They're digging every time you put the ball on the floor. They're double-teaming you around the basket. So she's just found different ways uh, within what we do to score. And we we can talk about her scoring because you see that number, but uh, one thing people don't talk about too often is her her defense. She's such a great defender. Well, With the development of her and the rest of the team, you know, you and I were kind of talking about it before we we popped on, but um, you've got that gap. It's not a big gap, but a little bit of a gap between your last regular season and then your conference tournament game. So you have time to practice um, and get shots up and do whatever else. So one thing I think very important, this might be the most important question I ask you. I noticed you have a very efficient two-finger whistle. Um, that you're able to pull off during practice. And I just wonder, has that been, uh, that is, has that always been in your arsenal or is that something you have developed over time? Well, that was uh, <laughs> uh, in high school. I had a teammate who could whistle like that. And I was uh, so impressed. I wanted to learn. So yeah, she was a senior my freshman year. And I spent, spent a lot of time working on that whistle. It was, it was a little floppy. Uh, but I, I don't think I've ever carried a whistle. So I just use, yeah, my trick, uh, and it, it does work. It gets the attention when needed. I would actually like to learn the whistle without using my fingers. I, oh, so you can't whistle. I know. You can't I, just actually whistle. Well, not that loudly. I can't, yeah, not long well, I can whistle, you know, just make it some noise, but not where you're going right. to be heard over a crowd. Yeah. Okay. But I, I was like that. It probably in a cleaner way <laughs> to my method. <laughs> I can't whistle at all, so no shame at all. <laughs> I, I've got tremendous respect for you. I cannot whistle. I need a whistle or it's not happening. So I, yeah. I, I got you. I feel your pain <laughs> you on that. <laughs> um, as you guys 
get ready for uh, your tournament. On a serious note, you will play the winner of William & Mary and then College of Charleston, uh, and then mm-hmm. obviously going down the list. You guys got the two seed, uh, which obviously puts you across the way from James Madison, who, who won the league, who's been at near the top of the league uh, recently as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys gave him a heck of a game um, just last week uh, on the road. Not, I know you're not looking ahead. I know you're worried about William & Mary or College of Charleston. Um, but for you guys, um, let's say you, you do win that, you do get down the list. Uh, the People always talk about the difficulty of you know winning three games in three days or four and four, whatever it is. How do you guys specifically uh, handle, prepare for, deal with uh, the conference tournament? Yeah, well, uh, it'll be interesting. Today... Uh, we basically just had uh, some of the players, um, if they want to come in and get some shots up, uh, we did that. So it wasn't even like we were having a full-fledged practice. Uh, and then tomorrow we will. We'll have a regular practice. Obviously, you know, this time of year you can, you can say it over and over again. You're only guaranteed one game. But, of course, you're gunning to play. You're gunning for three. Uh, that's everyone's objective. And, and just continue to focus in on what your edge is. And, and we talk about that being our defense. And, keeping that mindset, but uh, just understanding it's the group. Everyone has played the same amount of games. Everyone has practiced uh, for the, the duration. You, know, back, you go back to September with all your preseason stuff. So it will come down to who just mentally can handle the highs and lows throughout the competition. Uh, the way it's lined up for us, I, I like. And you're going you're gonna to see William & Mary uh, Charleston go against each other. Now, Charleston has beaten them twice this season. Uh, so if you break it down, I think William Mary is a very talented team and not just because they've beaten us. I like what they do. Uh, they have Brianna Boggs. This is it for her. I think she will certainly uh, get them that first win and then we'll face them. And of course, I, I as a coach, want to face William Mary back that game two weeks ago. And I can only hope that our players feel the same way. Mm. You know, wanting that redemption for uh, a triple overtime loss where uh, in, in reality, we were not very good. We, we took 30 more shots than William and Mary did. Yeah. Our home court didn't win the basketball game. So, you know, I sat there as a coach. I'm trying to question every the rotation and uh, plays that we ran. And at the end of the day, you, you look at it, you're, you're thinking, you got 30 more shots <laughs> than they did. But yeah. that's the you know, pressure to perform. You got to knock down a few more. If you make three more shots, you win the game. Yeah. So uh, you just want that game back so badly, and here's an opportunity to do it. So it really is that that first game. And, and of course, if you look at the bracket, you see who you could face in that second round with UNCW and Northeastern. Now you fall into the boat of, okay, teams that you had beaten twice, so now you use that other line. you got to be on point because it's tough to beat Yep. Any team, three times, but you want an opportunity to get to that championship game, but you want an opportunity to play the best. And James Madison has proven uh, that they are the best in this league. And did we give them a game last week? Well, we gave them three quarters. We didn't. We didn't show up to play. We were not ready in that first quarter, uh, and they took advantage. And you're not going to go down, you know, nine, ten points against a very good team and think you're going to get it back on their home court. So understanding if you're not ready from the beginning, they'll take advantage. So it's the way it's lined up. As a coach, I get excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to make sure your players are in the right mindset. And if they 
we don't know. If they look ahead in a quarter, if they look ahead in a game, if they look three games down the road, you're, you're done before it starts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. What uh, Last thing, and I'll get you out of here on this, uh, for – um, for the people who don't know, for the people who haven't watched you guys play a lot, uh, what is it specifically about your team? And maybe it's something we already discussed, but just the what is the one or two things that really make your team dangerous uh, in your conference tournament? If, you, if you're able to make the NCAA tournament, what makes you guys a difficult out and, and potential to, to beat some teams that maybe people might not realize that you could do? Uh, well, I would say definitely the defensive effort and, and just how we change it up. It's not uh, one look. You know, we, we are a team that can press. We, uh, our two guards, and Hannah Nihil and Kishana Washington, their on-ball pressure is it's smothering. And they, they do a great job of dictating both our man defense and our uh, zone defense. And then uh, I already commended uh, Bailey Greenberg on what she does on the defensive end. Uh, so that is first and foremost, just our ability to uh, change it up, uh, to disrupt other teams' offenses. And and then on the offensive end, it's known what Bailey Greenberg can do, but again, in, in so many different facets of the game. You, know, she, you can't uh, just guard her for the drive. Uh, she has extended her range. She can shoot the three. Uh, she runs the floor. And, and then not knowing what the other players are going to do. Can it be a little uh, frustrating for coaches when we're trying to do a game plan? Sure, but at the same time, I think we have enough weapons and we have enough threats uh, and they've proven uh, in, in games. You know, you've seen Nikki Metzl, see Aubrey Brown, uh, Anna Ferraru coming off the bench, uh, Mara Hendrickson. So we do have players who are capable of doing it. Uh, our job is to convince them they can be at their best uh, starting on Thursday. Yeah, well, they, again, Drexel will take on the winner of William and Mary in College of Charleston on the 14th and then hope to, to win two more games after that as well. 22-7 and seven on the year, 14-4 and four in the CAA. Good for second place. Coach, I really appreciate you taking time to join me and uh, share a little bit about you and your program. Thank you. This was enjoyable. Thanks so much. Well, thanks again to Denise Dillon, head coach of Drexel. Again, a team certainly worth keeping your eye on. Whoever comes out of that CAA is going to cause issues for whoever they end up drawing in the NCAA tournament. Thank you for joining me. Whether it's the first time you've listened to the Jump Around or you've listened to every episode, I appreciate it. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen, thank you. If you listen on iTunes and can leave a rating and a review, that is certainly appreciated. You can find me on Twitter always at Blake Dudonis. And until next time, this is the Jump Around.